0: does talking about your money make you cringe are you tired of fighting about finances do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness then you are in the right place welcome to breaking money silence a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money your host kathleen burns kingsbury is doing what she does best as a young girl She was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open.
1: I am so excited to have my friend Dory join the call today. Um, Dor- uh, Dr. Dorian Mitzer is her official name. I call her Dory. Um, she has over 40 years of clinical experience. She's definitely an experienced therapist. She's the co author of the book, The Couple's Retirement Puzzle, uh, an executive coach, a consultant, a speaker, a writer. She's done wonderful work. Her area of expertise is in adult development holistic life planning, and positive psychology. And so she has combined her life experience with these areas of extra expertise, and it's really led to her passion for helping individuals and couples navigate, in quotes, the second half of life. Uh, She works with individuals and couples in person in Boston and Brookline, that's Massachusetts, or uh, via the phone or Skype uh, if you are not in the New England area. Um, Dory has done a variety of great things, um, and so her work has been featured in different publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN Money, NPR, ABC, Evening News, and The Today Show. Please
2: welcome Dory to the call. Hi, Dory. How's it going? Uh, just great. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I'm just delighted to be part of your call today. So thank you for inviting me.
1: Excellent. Because I know um, the myth we're going to be talking about today are couples don't need to talk about money. And especially, the, I know that this comes up when there is one member of the couple who tends to manage the finances. And I know thinking back to the first time I met you for a lunch in Boston, and I was new to this whole field, it's, it's such an honor to have you on Breaking Money Silence podcast today, kind of uh, figuring out how to bust this myth wide open. So let's start with the myth, right? Couples don't right. need to talk about money is the shorthand of it. Tell me right. what motivated you to pick this myth
2: Well, there are a couple of things. On a personal level, it was really watching my parents and just seeing how as they aged, um, they were not talking about money. My father was the one who handled the money. There had been, as I grew up, a lot of money fights. Uh, my father was more frugal. My mother liked to spend money. And so when she started working, she would buy things and then hide them. So I grew up, you know, knowing about money messages and personality styles. And as they got older, we we actually did sit down and talk about end-of-life issues. So I knew what was important to them. Um, and it was made clear to me that my father handled everything. My mother didn't. And that was just perfectly fine. And then, of course, you know, when he died, it was a time of crisis for my mother. And I really realized in just a deeper way um, the financial illiteracy that she had. And it's part of what really got me interested in money and psychology and couples and women around money. Um, and in my clinical work, um, I'm just a big believer that people need to talk. But a lot of times people say, well, you know, he handles it or she handles it and we don't need to talk. And part of what motivated the uh, book that I co-authored were studies coming out of Fidelity, um, particularly Fidelity at that point. I think other uh, other places now have done studies saying couples are not talking about finances. And I think it's crucial because if Um, It doesn't mean both have to handle the finances, but it's important to talk about so at least you even just know the right questions to ask.
1: Excellent. Absolutely. And so you know, um, and people who listen to uh, this broadcast, Breaking Money Silence podcast, as well as who know my previous work, know that, of course, I believe uh, that it's important for couples uh, to talk about money. But let me just uh, go back just a little bit to your story. So. When you talked about mom and dad and and you talked about end-of-life issues, what's interesting right. to me is somebody initiated that conversation. Was it your father? Was it your mother? Or was it uh, you as their um, adult child saying, we need to have a conversation about this?
2: Well, it it came from a couple of parts. I mean, I had been somebody constantly talking with them about what's next and trying to help them really think more intentionally about where they were going to move because they were making some not good decisions my father actually initiated the sitting down to talk because he knew he was dying and um and i am so thankful that he initiated it because um my brother was visiting out there i was there and it was interesting my brother's response was no we we don't need to talk about this and i said yes we do and so we sat down and talked about, you know, the end of life issues and wishes. And my father told us that, you know, there and, and he told us where the list was of his accounts. Now, we didn't know at that point that my father took literally this idea of diversifying. And we discovered after he died, there were so many accounts and, you know, little bits here and little bits there. Um, and so at least we knew that and we knew account numbers and we knew where things were Um, but after he died it's a time of crisis and it was just clear my mother did not want to deal with anything and luckily during that conversation um, I had put my name I went to the bank with them and I got my name on the uh, checking things my brother we, we sort of divvied up some of the things that we were going to help with. And so luckily we were able to help manage things, but you know, the hard reality is if you haven't talked, if you don't know what the accounts are, where they are, who the potential financial planner is, what the passwords are, it's really difficult at a time of crisis to have to deal with all of these things. So it's actually an act of love to talk about it and You know, I know you and I think similarly, Kathleen, I I think money, sex, and death have been the taboos that, you know, are in our particular culture and society. And, you know, it's important to break those taboos. They're important to talk about. And you actually can get closer.
1: Absolutely. And so, you know, it's interesting to me, and, and and not surprising, but I'm really glad that your dad gave your family that gift, is mm-hmm. that it took it sounds like he could engage in a money talk, but only when it was crisis, when he knew he was no yes. longer going to be with you. And so you were able to kind of parlay that and then realize, wow, mom and dad haven't really talked about money, and so this is putting my mother at a disadvantage. So when we think about any myth, or when I think about any myth, I also think about, okay, so in a minute, we'll talk about how it got in your mom's way, maybe how it it caused some problems Mm -hmm. for your family. But is there any way in which it might have been helpful to your mom or helpful to people um, that are in partnerships that say, you know what, if I handle the finances, I don't need to talk about money with my partner? Is there any way that's useful?
2: To be honest, I don't think that it is. Um, And I'll tell you why. I mean, I mean, I mean, I think it can work for people, and there's no question that often in relationships there's a division of labor, um, you know, and somebody's the more the financial, the other person's the more social, you know. However, it gets divided. But personally, and I see this as I, you know, as you said, I've over forty years of clinical experience. When people don't talk, then there's almost like this blind faith. Um, and it doesn't empower you to feel like you can um, think about and make some decisions. And I often have seen power struggles around money. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to talk in depth. I mean, I, I'm a believer it's fine for one person to be the person who handles the finances. But I think what's important is... What I have seen, let's just say it's the man who handles the finances. I know that's a stereotype because it's not always that way and it's changing, I think, in the current, um, in our, our, our current times. But um, if the wife doesn't know anything about it, um, there's almost like this blind faith that it's all going to be fine. And I have seen so many clients having heightened anxiety because they just don't know how much money there is or where it is. And, you know, now we live in a society where there are more second marriages, third marriages, blended families. And so issues about money, family responsibility, legacy, the financial piece of legacy, philanthropy, they're important things to talk about. And uh, what I see is when there's not discussions, uh, there can be, some anxiety of um, just not knowing and also too many women it can stir up a feeling like I'm not capable of Mm, understanding it and I think that's not helpful at all
1: well and I think it can also work in the reverse I mean you've said this that it's a stereotype that it's just the men and certainly you know historically it's been the case and that's shifting but I do think whether it's a man or a woman um, and there's uh, you know somebody taking care of the finances but not discussing it there is a way in which there's this unspoken message that somehow the other person's input wouldn't be valuable. And even if you aren't a financial expert or finance is not your quote-unquote thing, uh, your perspective can be useful. So what I'm hearing is that you believe in the division of labor, but that the lines of communication need to be open. You don't see an upside of not talking about it.
2: Absolutely. And I think communication is the key issue. Um, I, I, I think many couples are afraid that if you know, they bring up this Pandora's box of money, there's going to just be huge fights. And what I often say to people is, you know, if in fact, you haven't been talking about whether it be money or other important things, and one of you wants to begin talking about it, the initial response might be trying to make you feel guilty, like, you know, how come now? You know, mm-hmm. you're suddenly interested. Or why do you want to talk about it? Do you want me dead? I had one situation where that was the response. Or uh, being angry. You know, how come now you haven't been interested all along? Um, I, I, I always like the image of a pebble dropped in the water. So if you're trying to make a change, you're like the pebble. And there's a ripple effect. And so the immediate response when somebody's trying to make a change most generally is either to make you feel guilty or to get angry at you cuz people really don't like change and when they get angry or try to make you feel guilty usually the message is don't change don't change don't make me change but if you just hold firm in a gentle but firm way generally you're able to kind of make a change in the system and you know, and and begin to talk about some of these issues. And so it
1: I- sounds like it's really at the beginning, expect that there might be some sort of pushback, just if it's a new yep. behavior for the couple, but that yep. ultimately what I'm hearing is that in the long run, if you stay the course it can improve your conver- uh, your communication. It also, you alluded to this earlier, uh, about increasing intimacy. So the, I, I love the idea of, like, people don't like change. I really don't know many people, yeah. even people who say, oh, I, re- I love change. Right. <laughs> Usually we <laughs> right. love change that we're in control of, is what my experience it's, has been, right? So if it's my decision to change, yeah. it's great. If it's your decision in the couplehood to right. change, eh, I may not be so happy about it. Um, but I think that's really useful advice for people who are listening, that if there is pushback if someone gets angry or, um, you know, starts to use some guilty tactics. It may be that they're just afraid of doing something new if this has um, been or seeming to have worked for the couple. Is is that your sense of it, Dory?
2: Absolutely. And I think it's very important for people to realize it. So, and again, I don't think you want to necessarily kind of put it in somebody's face. I think I think there's some ways to bring up conversations and what I often like to suggest to people is you start with an I statement and avoid what are called you statements. And let me give you an example. So an I statement is, you know, I really want us to sit down and just take a little time to talk about some of the money situations that, you know, we have or just for me to at least know you know, kind of what the money situation is or how much money we have or, you know, whatever the specific question is, rather than start with, you never share, you know, anything about money with me. Even if your intention is not blaming and shaming, a you statement tends to make somebody defensive and feel attacked. I don't think any of us like to be told, you make me do such and such. So if you, you know, bring it up, in, in an eye way, I really would like to talk about it. Let's set up a time. And, you know, if people haven't been talking, I say just set up a time, maybe five or ten minutes, because you can always come back to it. Just say, let's set up a time, you know, at dinner or after dinner or let's take a walk and set a time limit on it. Turn off all the distractions and really work on listening to each other. And, you know, I don't think any of us are born good listeners. I think that in different fields, like I know, in, in, in my career, as both a therapist and a coach, as well as a teacher, you need to learn to listen. And I think what tends to happen, particularly if people have been together for a while, we can hear the first few words, and then just assume, we know where it's going. And so we kind of turn off the hearing and we're already thinking about what we want to say uh, or we're interpreting it. We're not really just listening. So I really encourage people to listen without interrupti- interrupting interrupting. Um, it's interesting. Not to make I'm going to just jump in
1: because my yeah, brain's go going in two different ways, Dory. Okay. So as a professional, right, as a coach, a speaker, a teacher, you know, sim- very similar to the work that you do, I, you know, I am trained to listen. And in right. that space, I'm a good listener. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking about just over the weekend, a recent <laughs> conversation with my husband about money yep. and spending because we have a couple of different projects we're working on. And boy, I, I quickly get into that wife mode of like automatically yep. assuming, well, I know that this is what you think and having okay. all sorts of prejudged um thoughts yep. about it. So the reason I'm sharing that is I think it's important for us to have a sense of humor when we're doing this as well, because we're not perfect in it. And if it was a coaching client, I would be an excellent listener. As a wife, I really still, after 20 yep. years, have to work at, okay, mm-hmm. I'm listening. I'm hearing his perspective. I'm putting myself in his shoes. And it sounds like those are the types of tips that you're offering um, people. So so what happens if, if your partner doesn't want to come along for the ride? I mean, I'm fortunate. Brian's come along for the ride in terms of talking about money even though we didn't always do it but there are some couples that just mm-hmm. really really continue to struggle when one person wants to have this conversation and the other person doesn't and I'm sure you run into that so help me with your expertise understand how what is someone to do if that's the case in their life
2: well it's not always easy but there are some ways and I, I just wanted to finish a thought too of appreciate what you're hearing uh, even if you don't agree, so that you know it's it's often helpful. But I think you know it's sort of like a dance. You know, one person kind of leads a little, and maybe the other person will follow, and maybe they won't. But you know, if in fact the person won't, and let's assume it's the person who doesn't want to talk is the one who handles the investments, and maybe has talked with a financial advisor, maybe has not. Um, Another way is to say, all right, well I do understand that you know it's not something you want to talk with me about, but I really would like to come to the next appointment or let's set up an appointment with whoever the financial planner is because I my anxiety is just getting too high and not knowing. and I either would like to do that with you or, I want to be able to get the name of the person that you've spoken to if you have and maybe I can set up a time of my own. Um, so that might be a way. The, the money piece is, is difficult if in fact all of the money is together. Um, I, I even remember years ago I gave a talk at um, Boston Securities and a, a lovely gentleman came up to me at the end and said I have another story to share with you because I was sharing stories of Couples not talking, and he said that he had worked for you know many many years with a um, a gentleman who always came to the financial um, meetings by himself, and he met with the wife after this man had died, and he asked her, well, tell me you know sort of what you understand about the finances, and were there ever any conversations? And so she said, you know what he did, he would bring home the um, taxes. You know, and cover everything up and say, sign here. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, that's an extreme. Right. You know? <laughs> but, you know, and one would wish that you don't have to wait until after your partner or spouse has died to be able to get some clarity. But, you know, and, and you might know better because I know you know a lot of, you do a lot of work with financial planners, Kathleen, and around couples and you know, women and what I, I think- like
1: about what you're saying though, Dory, is I really like the idea of a third person. So, whether that is yeah. a financial advisor, whether that's a banker, whether that's an estate yeah. attorney, a, a therapist like yourself, or a, co- a coach, coach, I think having yeah. that other person in the room can shift the dynamics and also explaining, right. like you said, you know, explaining how it's impacting you. And often, um, even though that person who, for whatever reason, wants to keep the money uh... and control of the money and and managing it could be because they have a loving intent to protect you it could be that it's about something else um, but really helping them understand how it might be helpful for you often Um, and let them know you still can call the shots, so to speak, but I just want to know what's happening. And so I really like that as a tip of getting um, somebody else uh, in the mix. Now you said, and and I know these things go so quick, so we're going to have to uh, wind down in a minute, but I don't want to lose sight of this because you said um, part of what we should do or the tips you offered was I statements, uh, really listening, and then appreciating uh, the other person. Can you give me a concrete example of how you would appreciate a partner Uh, in a money
2: conversation? So if a couple were, part of what I encourage couples to do is to talk together about what, how was money handled as you were growing up? Because sometimes that just sets the frame of being able, you know, rather than just jumping into the conflict now and people can be kind of in their polarized position. um, I encourage couples to share what it was like growing up. How was money talked about? Was there fighting about it? Um, how was it handled as you were growing up as a member of the family? And I think that often talking about it and and even thinking about, you know, like what does money mean to you? And it, it helps couples begin to talk about so the man might be able to say, um, it's a feeling of power and I don't want to give that up. Now, not all people will say that, but some do, and others say it's security, or others say it's love, and, you know, and it can help couples begin to see maybe this is a little bit of the kind of mismatch that happens, you know, we always attract opposites, you know, or, or complementary, or, you know, we don't always see eye to eye, but sometimes it's a way to sort of appreciate, like, I didn't really understand Why this is so important to you. And I'm not, I don't, you know, I I am fine with the fact that you control the money, but I don't want to feel controlled by you around that. And so there could be a way of being able to talk about it that way. I
1: like that distinction between needing or wanting to control the money versus feeling controlled by the partner, that there's a, that there's a difference. Right. Um, right. And, and so I think these are wonderful tips. I mean, you're, you're out there every day and you have been for a, a number of years uh, helping to break money silence, helping couples talk about a variety of things, but certainly uh, about money as well. And I know you're up to a lot of good stuff. So uh, anybody who's listening in, I want to make sure that you can find out uh, where Dory. Uh, is uh, doing her trainings or when she's out at a conference speaking, how you can find her. So, Dory, you want to tell them a little bit about how they can find you. And I also, I know you have some things coming up that you wanted to just uh, mention.
2: Sure. My website is www.revolutionizedretirement.com. And it's not specifically about retirement. You know, as Kathleen said at the beginning, I really... Uh, retirement is part of the transition often, or sometimes that's part of second half of life, but I work with people basically figuring out what's next. How do I, I want to live my life with purpose and meaning and connection and engagement? So if you go to my website, you'll learn about me. And I also have a free monthly webinar, which is on the fourth Tuesday of each month at 12 noon Eastern time. And you have to sign up the week before each of the calls, and I interview experts. I call it Revolutionize Your Retirement, interview with experts to help you create a fulfilling second half of life. And once you sign up, you'll get a recording. So if you can't be on the call live, you'll still get a recording from the call. So I, inc- I invite all of you. It's open to professionals and the public. So you know, I hope you will come and join and tell friends and colleagues about it. And I've also co-authored a book called The Couple's Retirement Puzzle, 10 Must-Have Conversations for Creating an Amazing New Life Together. And although written for couples, because studies were saying couples aren't talking, it's actually helpful for individuals because you need to think about what your own vision is before you can work on trying to create a shared vision with either a spouse, a partner, or whoever's important in your life. So I just encourage you... Um, to maybe pick up a copy of the book. And on my website, you'll see there are about six or seven other books that I've contributed essays to, um, some really helpful books. One is called um, Live Smart After 50. And it's 33 um, contributors from the Life Planning Network. And there are a number of other books, you can kind of find them on the website. So I want to encourage you to to kind of check it out
1: definitely check out her work and'm I'm, I'm giggling here because I realized when I first met Dory it was over a decade ago and and some of these books didn't apply to me and now now <laughs> right. they do um, but right. I can tell you that expert series is wonderful I have had the fortune to be able to speak on it I've also had a chance to listen into some some of the folks who are um, highlighted and really interesting, diverse group of people. And her book is on every reference list that I give out about couples and money. Um, and I, I do agree. Thank I you. think a- the really thought-provoking questions, good information. Uh, always fun to speak with you, Dory. And, and definitely, I want everybody to check out uh, rev- revolutionizedretirement.com and, and keep track of what Dory's up to because she's always up to some interesting stuff. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
2: Thank you so much, Kathleen. It's been a pleasure being part of this. And I hope people will kind of break their silences about some of these money taboos.
1: Yes, and certainly you are, (laughs) thank you, you are someone who is breaking money silence and certainly has joined the breaking money silence revolution. So I appreciate it. Um, Until next time, I hope everybody can take a step towards talking about money openly and honestly with someone in their life. This is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. I'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.